Welcome to Changing the Perception of Blindness, One Conversation at a Time, where we aim to break down barriers, demystify blindness, and promote real and lasting change. Join host David Steinmetz as he connects us with professionals who are making a positive impact in the community. These leaders help empower individuals who are blind or have other disabilities to live a full and inclusive life. Let's lean in as David kicks off today's conversation. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Changing the Perception of Blindness, One Conversation at a Time. Over the last uh, few weeks, we've been thinking a lot about, about change. And, you know, as an organization, Arizona Industries Blind, we went through our strategic planning for the next three, five years. And through that conversation, we were able to talk about change. And it's not just from an organization's perspective, but really people and people have to change and understand the culture, the direction of the organization and themselves. I really gave that a lot of thought about, you know, my own journey and and my own, how I respond to change, you know, being diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa, which is a generative retinal disease. In my late teens, I often found myself sitting and wondering, right, I was on kind of two sides of the fence. I was still had enough vision to drive and and do things that, that sighted people do in terms of uh, the, the liberties that it gives you. While on the same, on the other side of the fence, I had the same thoughts of what is it going to be like to have vision loss and, and experience that. And having that in, in the back of my mind, I often kind of resisted it. And as my vision continued to change, I I was basically forced to embrace the blindness and embrace the fact that what my eyes have, you know, basically taken away that that sight uh, doesn't change who I am or what I do. Um, it, it actually, I think, has really empowered me more than than if I were without this diagnosis and the things that I think my life is, is so much better and so much different. And it was coming through dealing with the fear of the unknown, dealing with change, dealing with, um, you know, all the things that come with change. This show really helps me be able to communicate uh, through uh, my own voice, through the voice of my guests and the talents and, and things that they bring to the disability community is that we are eliminating from society uh, on a daily basis through having one conversation at a time, the fear, the unknown of blindness. And hopefully we are making that change to uh, business leaders and to those that are listening as to the importance of giving somebody who has a disability the opportunity because most likely if they're there to interview for a position that they have the talents and skills and abilities that you are looking for, that's why they're sitting across the table and that their disability shouldn't detract from the position that they're applying for and look past that um, unknown, the fear, and allow that person to thrive and, and just as I have working at AIB. So first, I'd like to, to kick off uh, the show and, and thank Arizona Industries for the Blind for being today's sponsor of this show. Uh, AIB is an enterprise nonprofit organization dedicated to empowering people who are blind to achieve the, their own version of the American dream by creating and sustaining dignified employment. So my guest today is somebody I've known for a few years now, Dr. Kirk Adams. And uh, I met Kirk probably in 2005, 2006, uh, and when he was the uh, president and CEO of Lighthouse for the Blind Inc. up in Seattle, Washington. So welcome, uh, Dr. Kirk Adams. Thanks so much. It's great to be here with you today, David. So I appreciate you being here. Uh, you know, a little, if you wouldn't mind giving our audience maybe just a little bit of a background about yourself and, and uh, Innovative Impact LLC and what you're sure, doing. Sure. Yeah. So I, um, first off, I'm a totally blind person. My um, experience with blindness quite different than yours is you had RP and I heard you say you were driving as a teenager, something I never got to do. But my retina is both detached um, when I was five years old in kindergarten. 
So I was born a sighted child and then became a blind child uh, basically overnight. I was five. And my um, parents were young folks. I was born in, when they were in college. And my dad was, both were teachers. My dad was a high school basketball coach. So they were, you know, 26 years old, 25 years old when my retinas detached. They had never met a blind person in their life. And I was told, they were told I couldn't come back to school at the local public school that I needed to go to a state school for blind children. Uh, we were living north of Seattle. They visited the Washington State School for the Blind. Uh, didn't didn't like what they saw as far as the level of academic activity. We're told about the Oregon School for the Blind. They visited. They loved it. So as a five-year-old I, or six-year-old, I didn't quite get what a big deal it was. But they quit their jobs here in Washington State and moved the family to Oregon so I could go to that school. Hmm. And I uh, went there for first, second, and third grade. And I learned the blindness skills that I use all day, every day, which is reading and writing Braille. Um, being able to travel um, independently and confidently using a long white cane. And at that time, typing on a typewriter, manual typewriter, <laughs> so I could start public school in fourth grade and you know type, type my tests and papers and things for teachers. So while the other kids were uh, having penmanship class, I was typing. Um, in any case, just you know, fa- fast forward, went, went through public schools. I was always the only blind kid in my schools. Got a, got a scholarship to a, a school called Whitman College in Walla Walla, Washington. I uh, graduated with a four-point in my field, which is economics, and Phi Beta Kappa and Cum Laude, and applied to graduate schools, got into a couple, decided I, wa- I wanted to work, marry my college sweetheart. We've been married 37 years now. Buy a house and have kids and do all those things. You mentioned the word thriving earlier. So you know, mm-hmm. I wanted to do those things that in our society and for me meant thriving mm-hmm. and um, started applying for jobs and I would send out my cover letter and my resume uh, I would get a phone interview I was mostly applying for financial analyst jobs and then uh, I, the phone interview would go great and they'd ask me to come in for the in-person interview and I'd walk in with my long white cane and my uh, slate and stylus to take some notes in braille Confusion would set in over the room as the employer, who probably also had never encountered a blind person or a successfully employed blind person, tried to imagine how this young kid sitting across the desk who was totally blind, how, how in the world could this person do this job they're applying for? So I wasn't getting hired. Then I started to disclose my, my disability earlier. So if you have a visible disability, like blindness, I'm obviously blind, I'm using a cane. You have to choose when to disclose your disability. So I, I started uh, putting that in my cover letter, just saying, hey, I'm a totally blind person, have been since first grade, here's how I've accomplished what I've accomplished, here's how I'll do the job I'm applying for. And, uh, and then I wasn't even getting phone interviews. So I, I, I started casting my net wider and wider, and finally uh, my resume landed at on the desk of a sales manager for a small securities brokerage firm. He had also gone to Whitman College, was also an econ major, called a couple of professors that we both had had and said, could Kirk Adams sell tax-free municipal bonds over the phone? And they said, <laughs> of course, of course he can. So that's what I did for 10 years uh, out of college. I was a securities broker focusing on tax-free bonds and it was straight commission sales 50 cold calls a day, every day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, turned 30, did some self-examination and reflection. I uh, got clear that I did not want to do that the rest of my life. So I, I, I got the What Color Is Your Parachute book out of the talking book and Braille library. I followed all the exercises and got clear that I really should be in the nonprofit sector. I should be in leadership and I should work um, to create opportunities for other people who are blind. So that's what I've done for the past 30 years or so is devoted myself to creating opportunities for people who are blind so that the next generation of blind people who um, are blind kids and then become ready to seek jobs that they have an easier time of it than I did. Mm-hmm. And um, through, a, through a couple different steps, which I'll shortcut, um, I've 
was given the opportunity to be the CEO of the Lighthouse for the Blind here in Seattle. I then joined the board of the American Foundation for the Blind, which was Helen Keller's organization. And after a couple of years on the board, I was given the opportunity to become the president and CEO of that very famous, iconic organization. And my wife and I moved from Seattle to New York City and lived in Brooklyn and worked in Manhattan then to move to D.C. And uh, now I've come back home to Seattle. I uh, spent six um, good years at the American Foundation for the Blind and helped them reorganize and restructure and, and return to uh, financial sustainability. And now I've started my own consulting practice and really working with companies to help them supercharge their bottom line business results by intentionally including people with disabilities. Because including people with disabilities in your workforce gives a business a competitive advantage. And that's a wonderful thing. And I'm having a great time you know, working with companies who understand diversity, equity, and inclusion makes them a, a, a better uh, company, a better corporate citizen as well. My goal is this year, through my efforts, to have a, to um, create job opportunities for a thousand people with disabilities. That's my target for the year. You've been well, my consulting practice is called Innovative Impact. Innovative LLC. Impact. Perfect. Thank you. So, yeah. you know, when you're telling your story of you know after college, going out and looking for a career, uh, right? Your, your chosen field that you studied. Mm -hmm. I share a lot of those same experiences as walking into um, an interview and you can feel the, the attitude, the atmosphere. I, I say, you know, it's like the O factor. It's what I call it is uh, you walk in people like, <gasps> right? the air being sucked out and, and this is going to go away. You can tell that within walking into the, the interview. Yep. So I, I, Totally uh, share that experience with you, and uh -huh. and as do many, many, many blind people. <clears throat> yes, exactly, so, exactly. And, and that's why you know the the average population of working age people about seventy percent or seven out of ten um, you know, non disabled people are working. They're in the workforce, and for us, for people who are blind and and other people with significant disabilities, the workforce participation rate is about half. So. Only about 35% of us are working. And that is um, leaving a lot of talented, skilled, passionate, motivated people out of the workforce, which is um, not, not good for anybody. Not, not good for people with disabilities, not good for businesses or missing out on that talent, not good for the economy, not good for the society. There was a uh, study I was, I was looking at. Um, there's like $35 billion dollars of lost productivity and burden to the economy due to the fact that people who are blind are not in the work fit, workforce. Mm -hmm. And that, that's huge, you know, and you break that down in the state of Arizona, it's about $400 million. Every day, there are people who have the talents to do just about any job that are out there seeking employment, just need the opportunity, need somebody that can look beyond the disability, believe in people. Because <clears throat> if you think about it, when you come into a job, they have set you know, processes or procedures and you can teach that. But if, if you already have the technology skills mastered, if you already have the, the soft skills to be able to show up on time and be prepared for work and all those things and be able to problem solve and, and think through you know, critical thinking skills, then the process and procedure should be the least of the problem. And I think oftentimes people kind of overlook that part of the hiring, hiring somebody who is blind or vision impaired. Yeah, and I, I think even beyond that, um, if you read a book like The Talent Code, which talks about how do, how do people achieve exceptional talents? How, how, how do people become virtuoso pianists? How do people become the best soccer player in the world? How, how do people um, you know, become an astrophysicist? And uh, it's through accepting challenges and overcoming challenges, and increasingly um, difficult challenges, mm -hmm. and spending focused time on uh, particular endeavors. And the conversation I often have with employers 
particularly fast-growing companies who are having challenges hiring enough good people, I'll, I'll say, you know, a- actually, living the lived experience of disability, living every day as a blind person, gives individuals an opportunity to develop extraordinary, which means above the ordinary, um, <laughs> skills in key areas that employers say they want. So you just mentioned some. So it's you know resilience and grit, perseverance, patience, the ability to create a problem solve, uh, the ability to analyze and manage risks, exceptional uh, skill in working with teams and working with all different kinds of people, great communication skills. So if uh, an employer is making a list of the things they want in an employee, uh, I can certainly have that conversation that hey, pe- people with significant disabilities have developed these characteristics to a, a unique and unusual level. So mm-hmm. um, what I say is, uh, let, let me help you supercharge your business by intentionally including people with disabilities in your workforce. Yeah, it's, that's a great message that um, people need to hear and often don't, um, right? Because they're, they're looking at this unknown disability, this person who may access or will access the technology differently, but they're, they're going to come to the same most likely outcome, right? Is you're going to be able to complete the task. You may just do it a little bit differently or how you, you know, your journey may look a little different, but you can still achieve those same outcomes. And then, you know, you were, you're talking about perseverance and grit and, even in, in your own experience that you're talking about, building on those core blindness skills, the learning to read and, and write Braille, orientation mobility to, to be able to independently navigate, those things, how, how, would that impa- how did that Im- really impact in terms of your job seeking and your career and, yeah. and, and your life, really, too? Yeah, yeah. So I'd I like to talk about three things. Um, you know, I, I have a PhD in leadership and change, and my dissertation was an ethnographic uh, study of blind adults who are successfully employed in large companies. So, I interviewed blind people who work at you know, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, AT and T, J.P. Morgan Chase, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Through talking with them, and also from my own experience, and another uh, a whole body of research, um, we can look at the factors that indicate that a person, a blind person, will be able to be successfully employed as an adult. So I had a number of things that happened that were none of my doing. First of all, I I became totally blind before first grade. So I had to learn blindness skills. There was no question, you know, should, should Kurt learn Braille or not? So, you know, most people who are legally blind have some usable vision. And so there's oftentimes a lot of challenges for families with kids who have usable vision. You know, do, should, should they learn Braille? Can they use magnification? Can they just you know, use audio? But, but for me, it was, was not a question. So I learned blindness skills really, really well, really, really early. Mm-hmm. And one of the predict, predictors of success in employment as an adult is their level of blindness skills. So um, the, the more the more skills you have, the more you know how to use the assistive technology, the better independent traveler you are. You know, all those things lead to a better likelihood of success. The second thing with early work experience, because most the majority of young blind people are not getting paid work uh, before they're 23 years old. Hmm. And uh, the majority of sighted kids are. They get some sort of work some some entry-level job some even if it's just babysitting or mowing lawns or whatever it is Mm -hmm. so i was really into sports Uh, my dad uh, as i said was a basketball coach he expected his children to be involved in athletics i wrestled and ran cross country in high school and i was the uh, sports editor for the high school paper and in the little town we lived in the editor of the high school uh, sports section got to write a weekly high school sports column for the uh, the town weekly paper. So 
in Snohomish, Washington, when I was in high school, I had a weekly column in the city paper uh, covering high school sports, and I got paid minimum wage. So I uh, tracked my hours and submitted my time sheets and got, got a check. And as a 16-year-old, uh, most young blind people don't have that, that mm-hmm. experience. And early work experience is also a strong predictor of success as a blind adult in employment. And the next, the, the third factor is expectations. So my parents had very high expectations of me. They didn't necessarily tend to my psychosocial needs as well as uh, they might have, but they expected A's on that report card. They expected um, contribution to the household chores. They expected, like I said, uh, participation in um, varsity athletics. So I did all that stuff. I was fortunate in that my Parents and my schools had high expectations of me. Many blind kids don't live in that same situation. Mm-hmm. Um, their parents, like mine, may very likely never met a blind person, don't know any you know, successfully thriving blind adults, have fears and misconceptions, and you know, often often think they that their blind child will be dependent on them and mm-hmm. have to live at home for the rest of their lives. And many, Many school, many school districts are great and hold high expectations of their blind students, and many don't. Mm-hmm. So that's the third kind of leg. One, one is that level of blindness skills. The, the, the second is the early work experience, and the third is the high expectations. And I, I had all of those things, again, through no, no doing of mine. Mm-hmm. And as just so happens, you know, my circumstances put, put, put me um, where I had those experiences. When you were talking at the intro about what you know, your parents going to the school for the blind in Washington, and then mm-hmm. not being satisfied with the level of of curriculum there, and and seeking out additional resources, um, that that level of commitment and expectation, right, is you're not going to sit at home just getting by is not okay. I agree with you. I think that that is a great predictor because, you know, whether you have a disability or not, you're, you know, you have to set expectations for your kids. And, you know, I know we did for, for our children mm-hmm. and, you know, hold them accountable for those things as well. And if you set a low expectation that it's okay to sit home and play video games or it's okay to sit home and, and do nothing, then that's what you're going to get. And that's what what society, in a sense, is going to see as well, right? Is is you being dependent upon somebody else to take care of all your own need, all your basic needs, and and everything else. And when you have to find the way to figure out how you're going to do the things that you want to do, mm-hmm. then you're accountable to yourself, and you're creating that independence. You know, as a child, you know me losing my vision later in life, as I was talking about, right, is that fear of the unknown is, is what is it, what is the expectation? I didn't know anybody that was blind, like you said. And it turned out myself and a younger brother both have the same retinal disease and two of my brothers don't. But should we have different expectations? Shouldn't our parents have different expectations from us? Um, we were never put in that position, but having to figure out what does it mean to be blind and how is it that tools that I'm going to need to be successful in my life as, as in the, you know, an adult, uh, as a father, as a husband, and as a productive member of society. And it's once you start digging into those things um, and learning, and you talked about, you know, we talked about skills and you were talking about an athlete, right? Is some of it is, is, is talent, right? You know, we're all given a talent, it's what we do with it and how do you practice and hone it and work towards it and be dedicated to that uh, skill or dedicated to that profession. And I don't think it's any different when we're talking about people with disabilities. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, blindness is a low incidence disability. Most people that you're going to encounter in the world of business have never worked with the blind person. So there is definitely a learning curve on the part of the people without the disability. The research also shows that once a company or a department has hired a person with a severe disability, they're very likely to hire more. 
Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's a, there's some great success stories out there. Um, there's a department of the company Cisco. I heard a gentleman present who was put in charge of a, a very high-end, you know, very technical internal help desk. The department was not performing uh, up, up to expectations, but he had had a college roommate who was blind, so definitely knew the capabilities. So he uh, had contacted the California Department of Rehabilitation Services. They started sending him applicants who were blind. He hired one, two, or three, and then he hired seven, eight, nine. You know, at mm-hmm. the time he made this presentation, uh, something like forty uh, percent of his his workforce in this department were blind people. Their their outcomes improved uh, dramatically, and they became a very high high performing, uh, efficient department. Also, with a great culture of um, teamwork, communications, caring of each other, respect for one another. So it was it was a great mm-hmm. example and one that I think about a lot. Hmm. That is a great example in talking about change and talking about overcoming some of these things. And there are big barriers to employment for people who are blind and you know, whether it's digital access, right, to, to technology or even printed information is transportation. And, and I, my opinion and the purpose of my show is really is the perception. And what do you, how, do you see that barrier any different for people who are blind and vision impaired in workforce? Yeah, I think things have, uh, first I'll just say we have a long, long way to go until the same percentage of people who are blind are working as the general population. We've, we've got work to do. And as we mentioned earlier, it's, it's about half the percentage now. Mm-hmm. But I, I see things changing a lot over the 30 years that I've been involved in creating employment opportunities. Really, the, the main driver is just the, the increasing awareness of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and how being inclusive of all different types of people make organizations better and stronger. You know, that usually has started with race and gender, but um, more and more companies are including disabilities and they're thinking about about DEI. And it it reminds me of kind of the the green revolution in the 70s, People started talking about carbon footprint and zero waste stream and lead certified buildings and making the green choice. And it was all new. It was all mm-hmm. new language and people weren't familiar with it. Now it's it's just part of our lives. It's, mm-hmm. it's common. Mm-hmm. And I, I think um, disability inclusion is on that same path. People are starting to talk about accessibility more, understand what it means. For those who don't, it just means we, we use some specific tools, in particular screen reading software, which will read to us with a speech synthesizer what you're seeing on your screen and or show it in Braille, a refreshable Braille display. And if the website is designed correctly, then um, our screen reading software will give us all the same information you have. If it's not designed correctly, then it doesn't. And just a simple example, if if I go to a shopping site uh, there's a picture of an apple uh, to click on if I want to put an apple in my shopping cart. If it's just a picture, it's just going to say image and then a bunch of computer code, and I won't know what it is. If the person who designed the website put alt text in the code that says apple, <laughs> then I'll know it's an apple. Um, the same, you know, when you're looking at it visually. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. unfortunately, there's a lot of... Uh, accessibility issues with the tools that businesses and companies use. So that's a very important aspect to involve people who are blind in, in your workforce and your company is just to understand if your the existing tools you have are, are accessible. And if they're not, you know, how how big of a task is it to make make them so? There are standards out there, World Consortium Consortium uh, Accessible Accessibility guidelines, WCAG, WCAG, there are standards that if um, IT people follow them, then everything works beautifully. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's lots of resources out, out there as well. And uh, I know at the end of our conversation, I'll give my contact information, and I'm happy to uh, talk to anyone out there listening about accessibility, about how to link up with the structures that can make it really easy for you to hire people who are blind 
We have a vocational rehabilitation system in our country that's funded by the Department of Education. There are agencies in every state. They can buy all the equipment that the employee needs for their first job. They can provide training. They can pay salaries during an on-the-job training period of time for, for a new employee. So they, there's lots of resources there. And then there's nonprofits like Arizona Industries for the Blind who have great expertise. So uh, what I typically do in my, my consulting role, engage a company in a conversation. Uh, an example is a cybersecurity company I'm working with called Nova Coast. Um, they have 400 employees. They want to grow it to 1,000 over the next three to five years. They can't find enough entry-level uh, cybersecurity people to hire. So we've developed a 10-week virtual training program to train people, blind people, to do cybersecurity work and to get their first two industry certifications, Network Plus and Security Plus. And what we're doing is working with each state and their vocational rehabilitation agency so that they're aware of it. The program's called the Apex Program, theapexprogram.com. But the, the point being, the state has blind and has blind individuals are actively seeking work and they have a vocational rehabilitation counselor who knows their skills, their career aspirations. And those um, folks who work for the voc rehab agencies can refer their client to the, this program and then they can pay for the training. And then when they apply for jobs and get hired, they can go into the employer's location and do an analysis and find out exactly what that person needs to do their job. And then they can pay for, pay for exactly what they need to do the job. Mm -hmm. There's also a work opportunity tax credits that the employers can use um, to their benefit when they hire people with disabilities. So I, I just try to, I just make it as easy as possible for the employers to go out and get great, talented, motivated uh, employees. Yeah, that's a great awareness, right, is is probably the biggest barrier, right? Uh, not knowing, right? They say you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. It's great that you're out and connecting with CEOs, connecting with organizations through your consulting about you know, people who are blind and the capabilities and the skills that they bring and people with disabilities in general, where, Kirk, where would you see the greatest opportunity for an organization to make that impact, you know, right away in terms of DEI? Uh, for a, a business or a company? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would think it's just what are your business needs and having that conversation around talent and whoever uh, knows the appropriate people to have in that, that business. And what, what I typically say is let's 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 talk about which entry level positions do you have the most trouble keeping filled it's a big company but i had that conversation with starbucks here in seattle because we were putting together some programs to have them hire more people are blind and i just you know sat with our head of hr and said what you know what jobs do you have the most trouble filling and she knew the answer right off the top of her head she said you know hr recruiters we need HR recruiters who can screen resumes and do um, first telephone interviews for all of our Starbucks stores. Um, we are constantly trying to find people to hire for those positions. Uh, then she said, accountant one, you don't need to be a CPA, but we always have op many open jobs for accountant one. And then the other was an internal help desk for the managers of, of the Starbucks locations. Hmm. She said, we're always looking to hire people. For those jobs, um, they could all be performed remotely. So that's the conversation. You know, we're not doing this for charity. We're not doing it to give someone a handout. We're, we're doing it to solve a business need for a company mm -hmm. uh, around talent and connect them with very untapped yeah. talent pool sure. that's sitting there ready. Um, people, with, people with resumes, people connected to Voc Rehab, uh, people who can bring um, assets with them from our, our uh, Department of Education funded system. And so it's really up to the business to say, hey, we need, we need, we always are looking to hire X mm -hmm. or we think in the next year we're going to have to hire 20 people into Y position. Mm -hmm. And then to have that conversation 
with the voc rehab agency with the local nonprofits in in your community that do um, work in the, in the disability employment area you know any any successful major transformation requires all uh, the stakeholders to be pitching in so you need mm-hmm. the government you need the corporate you need the nonprofit and then of course you need the individuals with disabilities all those groups share common goals mm-hmm. about having better workforce development more people with disabilities involved in the workforce but they're often not not uh, communicating with one another so mm-hmm. can that, that's where i come in let's get the right people <laughs> around the table say yeah. hey we all we all want to get more blind people employed here here's what each of these groups can bring to the table to make it happen yeah and and there's so many different ways that you can contribute to that too right is is through different partnerships as well as you mentioned with the nonprofits like AIB yep. is if an organization you know you mentioned contact center or, or help desk and mm-hmm. could, you know that could be outsourced to a nonprofit organization they have the expertise they know the technology and and ensure you know can do the training that some of the things that we hear, you know, when we're talking with organizations and I'm out in the community is, is, uh-huh. uh, you know, how do you train or what's it going to take or safety, whatever it may be. And you have these organizations throughout the country that are looking at and, you know, trending industries and creating programs uh, or providing lines of business in those industries that take on the, the, the responsibility to take on the challenge and are creating opportunities for people who are blind and vision impaired. Um, so sometimes if you don't know what, what, you know, how the best way to do it or mm-hmm. whatever it is, look into your community. There's, there's people that can then help you achieve your goals. Absolutely. So, <clears throat> so through your, your consulting business and, and conversations when you're uh, out there, connecting government and corporate America and stakeholders is when you talking about the talents, how do you tout that? I'm sure you're walking the walk, right? One. Mm-hmm. Um, but what do you tell those, those executives about the talents of, of people who are blind? Well, first of all, unless a job requires driving a vehicle or doing graphics, a blind person can do essentially any job there are blind people doing every job you can imagine. So there are blind accountants and physicians mm-hmm. and um, obviously lawyers, computer programmers, coders, cybersecurity analysts, uh, marketing people, HR people. So any any basic business function that you have in your company, there's a there's blind people successfully performing those functions somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, uh, to talk a little bit about the technology that we use, because employers are often not familiar with the tools and techniques that have been developed uh, that we we um, use daily, daily living and work and school. Um, so talking about the technologies, talking about the, the, there's usually an assumption that a blind person can only do some simple kind of hand-related task, which we used to be what society thought we could do. So I, so I think I think that's really the framing is don't confine your thinking to um, what you might think of as a kind of simple entry-level work, mm-hmm. but think about your whole organization mm-hmm. and the fact that a blind person, blind people can work in uh, every aspect of your company and that there are examples and models of people doing that mm-hmm. um, that we, we can we can identify and uh, we can we can connect you with companies that have blind people in these roles. My, Microsoft across the lake here in the North Seattle area, Redmond, they, they've really led the way as far as major companies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they probably have three or 400 blind individuals working on that campus and they're, they're working in every role. They're not just working in blindness specific or accessibility jobs. They're program managers and coders and marketing people and, strategic planners and mm-hmm. every every aspect yeah and it, it's great that, that organizations are out there doing it you know my my career with with aib was providing basic customer service in a sense although i had had a degree 
business and economics, the the opportunities to get into that field just I couldn't, no matter how many resumes I sent out. And so yeah. when I had the opportunity and it wasn't in my exact career field that I wanted to go into, it was an right. opportunity to start. And yep. over the the 18 years that I've been there, I continue to the skills that I gained from my pre- previous work experience and my college education took led me to higher paying upward mobility jobs, uh-huh. uh, leading other people. And so it's organizations to, to look at that. And like you said, don't think of somebody with a disability as they can only fit into this category. It's believing that, you know, with the right tools and the right training, uh, people can can do any job within your organization other than driving a, you know, a forklift or, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, you know it, so it, it really is, is broadening that. And I think organization culture, you talked about shift and change and there's been some, some growth in the uh, participation rate among people who are blind, um, people with disabilities and in the workforce. And so those, those are good. Yeah, good to see those numbers moving upward, trending upward. So obviously, culture is starting to to change. What? <clears throat> excuse me. Where do you see that change coming from, or how can an organization that may be considering it or mm-hmm. not even considering it, how we change that culture to get people who are blind, vision impaired back to work or into the workforce? Yeah, a couple of thoughts. So you you mentioned your. I took a job that wasn't what I wanted. You took a job that wasn't exactly what you wanted. I mean, I mean, lots of people in the general population mm-hmm. do that as well. Sure. But but of the thirty five percent of us that are employed, a third would say they're underemployed. So that that's a factor as well. And then from the employer standpoint, uh, if you move into this space and start intentionally including people with disabilities in your workforce, you're going to see resumes of people who might be even in their mid twenties, you know, have a college degree, but have never worked. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the, oftentimes a person who's blind or has a severe disability is going to take an entry level position, you know, probably a little later in life than many others, just because we're not afforded that opportunity to get that early work experience as we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. So, so I think it's really, David, I think it's really employers who understand the basic concepts of diversity, equity, and inclusion, that if they're only, and I'll just be kind of blunt and, and uh, maybe over dramatic. if you're only hiring white dudes, you're, you're, you are cutting yourself off from a great bit of talent. So a lot of companies started thinking about gender as more and more women entered the workplace. And then start thinking about race, like how, how can we reach out to communities that are underrepresented in our, in our industry mm-hmm. and uh, under, understand that having a diverse workforce makes their company better, stronger. And now to start thinking about being inclusive of people with disabilities and then going, going to see it. So I'll give you an example. This isn't the blindness example, but it's a disability example. I have a client. Well, United Safety Technology, they're building a factory outside of Baltimore, funded by the Defense Department to make uh, domestically produced medical gloves. And then they'll have 2,000 employees. The owner has a severe learning disability. Uh, he's kept hidden his whole life. He was connected with me through a past board member of the American Foundation for the Blind. And uh, we started talking about the workforce. He's going to have to hire 2,000 people. And he wants his um, company to be a leader in in inclusivity. And so I took him and his team to Anderson, South Carolina, to visit the Walgreens distribution center there Mm -hmm. last September. So um, a gentleman named Randy Lewis had been, he's retired, but he was chief of supply chain for Walgreens, had an autistic son. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was tasked with building a distribution center from the ground up. And he got buy-in from the leadership of Walgreens to design it purposefully to be inclusive of people with developmental disabilities. So 40% of their employees have a developmental disability. 
and they have their technology is designed to support those those folks in their jobs. They are the most productive of the 20 Walgreens distribution centers. They have the lowest turnover. They have the lowest absenteeism. They have the best safety record. They have the best employee satisfaction. There are some examples like that out there, Mm -hmm. Microsoft earlier. But uh, if an employer has an inkling (laughs) that it might make sense for them to win the battle for for, um, talent, through being inclusive of people with disabilities, there are lots of resources out there. Mm-hmm. And um, that's that's what I enjoy doing is bringing those resources uh, in, into the mix, uh, giving people examples, connecting people with, with um, connecting companies with other companies that have done it mm-hmm. and are uh, reaping the benefits of disability inclusion. Yeah, I, I love the, the Walgreens uh, story and... Uh, you know, met with with their leadership team several years ago, and the things that they're doing there, and other major global organizations um, are doing the same thing. And in, in Sephora, for example, they uh, created a partnership in in Las Vegas in their distribution center to mm-hmm. do the same thing, and then they yep. rolled it to uh, other parts of the country. And so it's fantastic to see that people are recognizing that you know, diversity, it, equity, inclusion are are key component components to a set successful organization. But disabilities need to be part of that conversation as well, because I think it, some of the things you mentioned: uh, longer tenure, low low turnover, more mm-hmm. dedication to the job that they're doing because they value that job more. I, I'm going to say more. Uh, I'll speak for myself. Then you know maybe someone who's going to go down the street for you know twenty five cents more an hour, um, right. and so I think that that helps sell this the story of having uh, a workforce that includes people with disability in in that conversation. And it really does change the culture. I mean, if you I sat with the management of that distribution center and they talked about their previous work experiences in their life and how different it is to work in a uh, disability-inclusive environment, how people have so much respect for one another, people care for one another, are more actively um, supportive of one another. And that's not just, that's everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, Everybody in in that organization uh, has a different work experience now than they've they've ever had Mm -hmm. uh, before. And um, culture... (laughs) is king so um mm-hmm. it, it's 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 another great benefit of intentionally including people with disabilities is the strengthening and the refining of the corporate culture mm-hmm. yeah for sure and we we're just having a conversation this morning before the show started about culture and right culture could, is really defined by a lot of different things you know some people say well we have pinball or ping pong tables in the break room and, and free coffee and, and all those things. So that can, that's our company culture. Others say, well, our culture is our people. Our culture is the vibe in the workforce and, and things like that. Right. So, so culture, my, my favorite definition is uh, culture is uh, the way we do things around here. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So really trying to make sure you really understand what culture is and what you're trying to create and be specific in that. Make sure you're getting buy-in through the rest of the organization. If if your hiring manager doesn't understand what it is that you're trying to do, right, it, or your frontline supervisors um, are kind of in the same boat as, you know, what am I going to, how am I going to train this person with a disability or uh, I just can't see that it's going to work and, and those things. If, if you don't push and help your employees in, in your organization understand those benefits. Yeah. And that's a, that's a super great point. So it, there has to be buy-in at the top of the org chart whatever your company configuration is, if it's the CEO, also the operations people need, need, need to be totally on board. The idea is to make their jobs easier and more mm-hmm. successful. 
And if they um, don't believe disability inclusion will do that, um, it's not going to work very well. So mm -hmm. yeah. you just need 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 people who uh, you know are, are on board who have that um, decision making authority. Yeah. So that, that that's extremely important. Sure. Absolutely. So Kirk, we're uh, just about at the the top of the hour here for our for our show and our conversation, and I've really enjoyed. Um, the conversation, your insights and, and thoughts. Um, well, that, that flew by. It didn't it? Yeah. But, yeah. It, you know. If, if uh, people are interested in getting contact with you, what's the best way to do yeah. that? Well, I, I'm on LinkedIn a lot. So Kirk Adams, um, LinkedIn Innovative Impact LLC. And then uh, my email address is my first and last name followed by three zeros at Gmail. So it's K-I-R-K-A-D-A-M-S, all lowercase zero 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 at gmail.com feel free to email me anything large or small anything that piqued, piqued your interest anything you'd like to learn more about um, this is what i this this is what i love to do is create opportunities for other blind people to um, enjoy the dignity of work and the economic benefits of work it's good for it's good for disability inclusion is good for everybody so um, i'm here to help it happen Absolutely, and 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 thank you again for your your time, your insight, and the conversation. And again, I, I hope that this show proves that with the right training, the right technology, the right attitude, people who are blind are successful in the workplace. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Changing the Perception of Blindness, one conversation at a time, with your host David Steinmetz. Be sure to subscribe to Changing the Perception of Blindness, one conversation at a time on your favorite podcast platform and tune in live on Phoenix Business Radio X every third Friday at 9 a.m. We hope you feel inspired by today's conversation and maybe we've even sparked a new idea or opportunity.